0: All right, now I don't need a show of hands, but you have to be honest with me this morning. When you were a kid, were you afraid of the dark? Now I know some of us still are, and there's no judgment here at church, that's okay. But I know for me, when I was a kid, I, one of the things I would do when it was bedtime, it was nighttime, I would turn the light off in my room, and then I would run and dive into the bed. Because I just knew if I was standing next to the bed in the dark, something was going to reach out from under there and grab my leg. I just knew it. And so I got this. It should be an Olympic event, in my opinion. I, was, I got pretty good at that after a while. You know, when I was 18, 19, I got over it. But um, <laughs> Now, I'm still, as an adult, I'm going to be honest, as a parent, I'm still afraid of the dark for a different reason. There's Legos out there, y'all. <laughs> I just know it. You learn as an adult, you learn how to shuffle your feet, okay? Don't ever pick them up and step down. That's that's terrifying. Y'all, darkness is one of those things, we all understand it as a physical reality. If somebody switched the lights off, we would know darkness, okay? But it's also, darkness is a word that we also know has a deeper meaning. When we talk about darkness, there's something to that that touches us in the heart. We know what it means. If somebody ever says, you know, I was left in the dark on that. We know what that means. It means that something was done in secret without my knowledge. Or maybe we say, you know, somebody has a dark past. Or they're in a dark place in their life. We know what that means. That there's something painful, deep, and difficult that has gone on or is now going on in that person's experience. Or we take a shot in the dark. Meaning that I make a decision without knowledge and guidance. We just guess and hope for the best, right? But in every case, when we use that, that idea of darkness, we use it in a negative sense, don't we? We don't talk about darkness as a positive thing, because darkness for us implies fear or pain, insecurity, uh, ignorance, loneliness, lostness, right? And y'all, in the Bible, darkness is a recurring theme, and it has an even deeper meaning than the meaning we give to it. Darkness has a spiritual meaning. And ultimately what darkness means biblically is a life lived apart from God. Darkness is to live apart from God. The scripture calls it walking in darkness or living in darkness. The apostle Paul in Colossians 1 speaks of what it means to be a Christian. He says we all were once living in the domain of darkness before we were saved. We live in a domain of darkness because we are all sinners. We live in the dark. We're separated from God in the light of His glory. The Scripture says every single human being has lived in that place and knows what it is. And so my hope is that this is an image we can all grasp and feel. But it's also part of what makes Jesus' words today so magnificent and marvelous and glorious. Jesus is going to invite people who are living in darkness To a new life entirely today in John chapter 8. Now, this is we're following on the heels of John chapter 7, and the context is the same. Still here in, in chapter 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem, the holy city, during the Feast of Tabernacles. So the great crowds have gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. Jesus is present in and around the temple, teaching the people. And so back in chapter 7, he issues to the crowd, he cries out. This incredible invitation, He says to everyone, if anyone thirsts, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. And he who believes in Me in his, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the invitation of chapter 7. Well now, Jesus speaks an invitation again in chapter 8. Right on the heels of the living water, come to Me if you thirst, I'll provide... He gives us something just as wonderful and perhaps even more. Look with me at John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. John tells us, Then again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now let's, just, let's stop right there before we move forward. This is not new language. If we've been walking through the Gospel of John, in fact, John begins his Gospel by telling us this testimony about Jesus. This is from John chapter 1, verse 4. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, John tells us, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so Jesus, and now with His own words, is speaking this great truth that we've already been, um, that's already been hinted at for us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is a light that overwhelms and overcomes the darkness. Now y'all, that can mean a great many things, and I think it does. But at the very least, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, at the very least, it means that Jesus is the truth in a world of lies. Jesus is justice in a world of evil. He is life in a world marked by death. Jesus is hope in a world of despair. He is the answer to all of those deep and dark fundamental problems that we know deep in our hearts. They're there and Jesus shines the light into that darkness. And y'all, the best part to me about this claim of Jesus, I am the light of the world, it's not just what He is in Himself. He's the light. But it's what He is to us. Jesus is not a light that shines at the world. He is the light of the world. And that's why He says, He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, will not live in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a promise that no matter how many times we hear it, no matter how diligently we might study it, it's something that we would never ever reach the bottom of. This is how great Jesus is, and he, he, he gives that light to us for us that we might live in it. Now, this is too important to leave hanging, and so we're going to circle back to verse 12 at the end, okay? I want it to guide and inform everything else we see. So hold on to verse 12, underline it, highlight it, keep your finger there. We'll come back to it. But the question always in John, and in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the same. Whenever Jesus makes a significant claim, so often there are people around him who immediately push back. And oftentimes it's the Pharisees. And here in John, it's the Pharisees. The Pharisees, look at verse 13. Jesus has just offered this this most wonderful invitation. But the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I and my Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Uh, you'll notice how the, the Pharisees are always, always trying to poke holes in the ministry of Jesus, always trying to catch him in his words. Sure, you healed a guy, but you did it on the Sabbath. Sure, you said this but you really meant this, or you say this, but it can't possibly be true. And y'all, this right here is just the same song, different verse. They're trying to entrap him. They're claiming that Jesus, who's making these massive statements about himself, he doesn't really have credibility. He's not who he says he is. You make these claims about yourself, but you're really just blowing smoke. And that's the very same accusation they made back in chapter 5. right? Same song, different verse. But Jesus does not play their game. Jesus uh, interacts with their accusation, but he doesn't play the same game. You notice he says, you judge according to the flesh. Meaning, what they want Jesus to do is pull out his diplomas, his credentials, his endorsements. Prove to us that you are validated in what you say. Prove to us that you're somebody based on the authority of another person. Man or a group of men, that's what they consider to be authoritative. Show us what proves that you are somebody. But the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is His own endorsement. And what I mean, now that's not a, that's not a sleight of hand that Jesus is. He's not, just, he's not saying, well, you just take my word for it. They've seen His miracles. They've observed His teaching and His life. They find no fault with Him. He had no sin in Himself. Everything Jesus said was ratified by the Heavenly Father. Everything was substantiated by the Scripture. Nobody in truth had an argument against this man. And so when Jesus says, I am My own endorsement and the Father endorses Me, there was nobody to really argue against Him here except in the hopes of catching Him in a technicality. These people know that Jesus is truly unique. The problem is that they don't recognize that He's unique. The problem is they don't receive Him for who He claims to be. They do recognize His miracles. They can't deny them, but they will not receive Him. And Jesus, again, He points to the root issue for these guys, these men. The root issue is not that they just don't like Jesus, The root goes back to verse 19. Look at that again in verse 19. He says, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. You don't really know God. And y'all, this is, gosh, it feels like the third, fourth, fifth time so far in John Jesus has made that same accusation to the Jewish leaders. A a, a penetrating accusation, an absolute insult to the highest degree here. It it helps us to remember, I think, y'all, the Pharisees, we we know that they're they're against Jesus, they're in so many ways at enmity with Jesus. And so we might see the Pharisees as bad guys. But y'all, the Pharisees were the models of religious devotion. Even if people didn't really like them, you know, they were they were judgmental and you know, they carried themselves kind of high and mighty. But nobody would have disputed that they were the top rung of the ladder. These men knew their Bibles front to back. They were very dutiful in keeping the law. They gave every indication of commitment to God. These are the most religious people in the world Jesus is talking to. And yet he's adamant about this. You don't really know the Father. And the rejection of the Son is the clearest evidence that you don't really know the Father. If you knew me, if you received me, then you would know the Father too. And so, y'all, this, is, this, this should, should strike us in a special way, even here where we sit, given that a lot of us have a, an experience growing up in church. A lot of us grew up in the Bible Belt. For all these men and their religious commitments... They didn't know God. They gave every appearance of knowing God, but in their hearts, they were still walking in the darkness and not the light. And that can be true for anybody, no matter how solid our church attendance or our knowledge of the Bible may be. We can still walk in the darkness apart from faith in Jesus. That was the case for these men. And so Jesus goes on in verse 21. He said again to them, I go away. And you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Uh, Lots of confusion here. But y'all, it's clear, I hope, to us, because he's already said it before. When Jesus says, I go away, he's talking about his death. And then his resurrection and his ascension and return To the glory of the Father. And then Jesus says, After I go away, you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And what's meant here is Jesus is telling them, You're going to continue to seek the Messiah, hoping and praying that the Messiah is yet to come. And yet you rejected him when he stood right in front of you. After I'm gone, you'll still seek me. But you have rejected me, and therefore the one you're seeking is never going to come. He already came. And therefore you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come, because you remain in rebellion against the man God provided. That's abrasive, right? Well, it gets a little more abrasive. Look at verse 23 and how this paragraph concludes. Jesus was saying to them, You're from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but He who sent Me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. They did not realize that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. Okay, Now Jesus, um, Jesus makes no apology here in this distinction. You see what he says? You're from below, I'm from above. You're of the earth. I am not of this world. Now this is not Jesus arrogantly looking down his nose at us posturing Himself above us. No, this is Jesus' way of declaring His uniqueness. He is the Son of God. Not a mere man, but a divine man. And so Jesus, when He makes this statement of judgment upon the people, He's the only one qualified to say it. You will die in your sins unless you believe in Me. Unless you believe in Me the unique one and only Son of God, you will die in your sins. Now, y'all, these are the kind of Scriptures that I would maybe prefer to gloss over. Maybe you would too. This is is uncomfortable and abrasive. Jesus says to these people, you will die in your sins. Y'all, that's a shock to the system. It should be. Unless you believe in Me, you will die in your sins. But y'all, this is what Jesus is getting at here. Is the whole purpose for which he came into the world. When Paul speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, Jesus Christ came into the world why? To save sinners. To save sinners. And so we don't do ourselves any favors if we try to avoid or soften this kind of language. Y'all, when Jesus says, "You will die in your sins," he's simply relating to us Two undeniable facts. The first, you will die. Nobody likes to think about that, but that's the truth. Every single person dies, it's the way it is. And then the second undeniable fact is that you are a sinner. And even if you've never cracked open a Bible deep in your heart, you know this is true. You haven't lived up even to your own standards for yourself, let alone the standards of a perfect and holy God. None of us has lived up to the righteousness of God. And so if I'm destined to die and I am a sinner, then when I die, I will die in my sins. Which is to say, I will die responsible for my sins. And I will be the one to bear the consequences of those sins. Unless. And here's the third undeniable fact, a fact so great that it overwhelms the other two, by far. Unless, Jesus says, you believe that I am He. The one fact that overwhelms the other two. Unless you believe that I am He. And y'all, again, that, that's, this is why the most loved verse in the Bible, something we studied a few weeks ago, John 3.16... For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish, may not die in their sins, but may have everlasting life. You know what Jesus is saying? He's speaking an abrasive word But the whole point of His coming is this, that the darkness of our sin and death has been flooded with divine light. The light has come into the world to outshine the darkness. The two darkest things there are, sin and death, have been flooded out by the light for those who believe. And so even as Jesus speaks a harsh word, a very definitive word to these Pharisees, y'all, the good news is being laid out right before them and for us. And Jesus tells them, What's going to happen? How it is that, that His credibility will shine forth the brightest, right? That's what they've doubted in Him. You're not really who you say you are. But look at this, how it ends. Verse 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing To him. Uh, Back in chapter 3, Jesus made the same comment about being lifted up. When you lift up the Son of Man, that is a statement of His crucifixion. He's telling them how He's going to die. And He says, you are going to be the ones that do it. You will lift me up. You will put me to death. And you think that when you put me to death, that's the end of me. You are the ones vindicated. I was the false prophet. You are the one standing for righteousness, but no, when I go to the cross, that will vindicate me as the one and only Son of God. and I will rise from the grave, and I will be lifted up again to the glory of heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so what Jesus is communicating, y'all, has this, it's this wonderful two-sided coin. That on one hand, He calls His shot. He tells the Pharisees, you're the ones who will be responsible for My death. You're finally going to get your way and you're going to put an end to Me. Or so you think. But that's how I will achieve the salvation of the world. That's how I will die for sinners, including some of you, perhaps, who may yet turn to Me and believe for yourselves. He will be vindicated by being lifted up. And y'all, the good news for us, right here, right where we sit, the only reason you and I may not die in our sins is that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. The only reason that you and I will not bear the consequences of our sin is because God's Son bore our sins in His body on the cross. So that by faith in Him, we are no longer in sin, we are now in Christ. How is it that Jesus Christ could make such massive statements about Himself? I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Remember, we'll see it in a few weeks when Lazarus dies and he speaks to his sisters who are weeping over their lost brother. And he says, the one who believes in me will never die. How is that true? Because Jesus Christ has tasted death for us. We are no longer in our sin, but we are in Christ. Everything has changed by faith in His name. And so that brings us back to this wonderful verse 12. I told you we'd be back to it. And I just want to look at it again. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what kind of offer is this? And And... I beg your pardon if you've heard this before. I suspect you have. I sure have. But just think with me about the greatness of what Jesus is offering us. Maybe maybe it would help us to consider this. And and I, I would encourage you to close your eyes for a moment to imagine this scenario with me. Try to imagine that you lived in a world of darkness. Only darkness. Day and night. All the time. You cannot, literally, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. And then someone hands you a flashlight. What a gift. Now you can see things you never saw before. Now you can guide and navigate your steps as you walk. Now you can read and write. All sorts of New worlds have opened up to you, right, with this flashlight in your hand. But then at some point, the reality settles in for you that even with that flashlight in your hand, you still live in the dark. You still live in the dark. What you need ultimately, what you need most, is not a flashlight, you need the sun. You need to feel the warmth of light that gives life all around you. And y'all, I want to communicate to us the best I can, y'all, the size, the scope of what Jesus is promising us here. Jesus is not offering you a better life if you will simply follow Him. He's offering you life itself. Not not just a little help for the journey, a flashlight in the dark. But life itself. Life with God, not apart from Him. Freedom, not bondage. Mercy, not condemnation. Truth, not delusion. Hope, and not despair. Life, not death. Light, not darkness. And y'all, long before Jesus ever spoke these words to the crowd, this was God's promise all along. This is how God was going to characterize His new covenant for His people saved by His grace. Listen to what God promises. This is from Isaiah chapter 60. Centuries before Jesus spoke John 8. In Isaiah 60, here's the promise. No longer will you have the sun for light by day nor brightness nor for brightness will the moon give you light but you will have the lord for an everlasting light and your god for your glory and then at the very end of the bible after jesus spoke the words of john 8 we see it supported and promoted and promised again even more vividly all this is revelation chapter 21 Here's the vision of our future, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is the lamp, the source of the light that shines upon us forever. Brighter, more stunning. Than a thousand suns and moons, the glorious light of Jesus Christ around us and in us. And so, as, as we as we close this morning, I want to offer us an encouragement. I hope it's a challenge also, because it's one for me as I look at myself and my own walk with Jesus. Y'all, it's so easy, it's so natural for me for me to come to Jesus primarily for help, for guidance. For comfort. So many people, when we think of Jesus, when we come to Jesus, we think of Him as like a flashlight. He will help me to navigate, to guide through the dark areas of life. The places where I'm confused, where I lack wisdom, where I'm in despair. Jesus will help me. And y'all, we don't diminish that around here. Of course Jesus helps us and guides us. Yes. But if we stop there, if we stop there, then we stop short of what Jesus is actually saying to us. Of what Jesus actually came to accomplish. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Y'all, the person who comes to Jesus in faith, who belongs to Jesus, who follows Him, we don't discover Jesus is useful in that case. What we find is that He's everything. He's not a light to help us out in dark places. He is the very light in which we walk and live and breathe. Everything about us is, is now flooded with the light of Christ. Yes, He helps us, but His help is predicated on who He is, and it's greater than that. He's the light. Of the world, a light that expels the darkness and illuminates everything else, including and especially the heart of those who trust Him. A light that we can walk in as our new defining reality. And so, y'all, to follow Jesus, to walk in His light, at the very least means this that you have been forgiven of your sin, all of it and that you are now free to live without sin, free to leave sin behind and to live as a new creation walking in the light. It means that you are freed from your shame and you can now live with absolute confidence in the acceptance and the love of God. He will never change His mind about you. It means that that you may live free from fear because Jesus is the light that does not dim or die out. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will see you through to the end. And you're able to live the way God created you to live. Y'all, you notice this. If you're in the dark, I mean truly in the dark, it's hard to think about anything else but you. You literally can't see beyond your own nose. And that's what darkness does to us. It turns us inward. And yet, if we know Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Jesus died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. To live in the light means we no longer live for me, but for Him, and all the wonderful grace He's called me into. Y'all, to live in the light, the light of life, that is ours as a gift. You cannot earn it. It's a free gift of His grace. And so my hope for us, my hope for myself, may we receive Jesus Christ. Not as our periodic help in times of need, but as our everything. As our all-encompassing, all-saturating light. If we receive Jesus Christ from the heart, we may now walk in the light. Walk by faith in Him. The one and only light of the world. Let's pray for that together. Lord, will you stir our hearts this morning? As we read in the, in the very same Scripture this morning, we see a, 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 an, an abrasive and very harsh reality. This possibility, Lord, that, that we may die in our sins. Bearing the consequence to pay the penalty for our unrighteousness. And yet, you sent your Son into the world to see to it that we would live rather than die. That we would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, Father, as we as we, I pray, recognize the weight, the darkness, the the finality of sin and death apart from you, that much more we acknowledge and celebrate the absolute certainty of light and life in Jesus Christ. No longer to walk in the darkness because we have the light of life. Father, will you impress this as the very deepest truth in our hearts? Lord, let nothing else, nothing else be our trust, our hope, our anchor. Only this. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, to save me. Anyone who comes to Him thirsty, will drink to the full. Anyone who comes to Him, He will shed light that overwhelms the darkness. Thank You, Father. May we truly believe Him. May we trust Him with everything we are. Lord, may we find Jesus not to be a flashlight in the dark, but to be the one who expels the darkness altogether. That we might live in the light forever. Thank You that this is true. That He is true. And we pray it all in His awesome name. Amen.